stand for the reading of the word from 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had not if and if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing this? By doing what is evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. The son born to you will die. The word of the Lord, please be seated. When was the last time? This is the question that we're going to hope to get you towards today. When was the last time? Now, if you weren't with us last time, or maybe this is your first time to be here in a while, let me update you on what we've been in. We've been in a series called Come to Your Senses. And within this series, we have ta been talking about how life with God is these moments, and in the language of the prodigal son story, is life is these moments with God where we come to our senses. We come to our senses about God, and we come to our senses about ourselves. And last week, we actually talked about how we bring to the table images of God, and sensing God in our lives is basically letting God slowly rework us from the images that we have of God, moving us to the image of who God is in Jesus. That was last week, was sensing God. This week is all about sensing self, which brings us to this moment in 2 Samuel ver, or chapter 12. You have this moment 
that any time that you take Scripture and you basically just hop into a passage, sometimes it's difficult. It's almost as if you hop into any part of the story of the Bible, and it's basically kind of like watching a, um, let's say, a uh, Marvel movie. Because that makes sense, right? Let me try to explain it for you, at least show you how my brain works. If you have never watched a Marvel movie, first of all, my heart goes out to you because quarantine did not get the best of you, okay? But if you've ever seen any of the Iron Man or anything of those movies, they are a story within a story, okay? And I'm not one of those people that's going to nerd out over you with it or anything like that. I mean, it's not like over a span of 13 years they were able to create 24 movies and it made about 3,016 minutes worth of one plot line the entire time on top of being able to create three shows. I'm not that type of person, though. I'm not going to nerd out on you. It is a story within a story. So anytime you sit down to watch any one Marvel story, you're lost because there's a bigger story being told. There's references, there's names. It's almost like Thanksgiving all over again. You're like, I don't know who these people are, nor do I really care who these people are. The entire time you're walking through the story. But here's the thing, Marvel did not beat the Bible to this. The story of God is a story within a story. And by the time you get to 2 Samuel chapter 12, a lot of references are happening through here. And let me sum it up to you really quick like this. David is sinning through his sending. David is sinning through his sending. Now, all of us know that sending can be troublesome. Let me explain it to you. You know you should have never sent that text message or that email. But in a moment of impulse, you sent it anyways, and it got you in trouble. Many of us, when we hear our coworkers talking, we want to send them a dirty look, and we know we shouldn't because we know that's not what Jesus wants us to do. But you send them that look anyways, and you pay for it the next three staff meetings because you sent them that look. You know that you shouldn't send that mobile order to Chick-fil-A for that cookies and cream milkshake because it's your third one this week and your wife's saying we're running out of money, Zane, but you send it anyways. Why? Because, oh, the flesh is weak, but the spirit, oh, it's, it's willing. It wants to. Sending can get you in trouble, but let me reorient you back into 2 Samuel 12. This sending is not something light. The sending that David is doing is a form of sending. It says something about who God is. Who does David send? David first sends his army away when David should be with his army in the first place. The second is because David is behind, David sends for one of his most loyal men, Uriah. He sends for his wife, Bathsheba sleeps with her and then sends her away which by the way as a king when the king calls for you there's not much of an option and then on top of that when word gets sent to David saying that there is a pregnancy David sends Uriah one of his best men to the front lines to be murdered which by the way for those of you who love the Bible keep in mind For David to be able to do that, he not only commits one murder, 
he commits several murders. He would have to bring multiple people with Uriah for that to happen. David has been sinning through his sending. In the beginning, the beginning of 2 Samuel, those first six verses want you to remember something about the God of David. That this God holds all power accountable. Collective and individual. And when someone sends something, this God sins as well. That Nathan... This prophet, this friend, this minister to David is literally a God sent. But we find that David is in a place that David cannot come to his senses, that this story is about him. Now, if you love scripture, you're the type of person that you're like, man, I, I love when words articulate a story. You wouldn't get to know this behind Nathan's parable very much. But in Nathan's parable, this is so good. A, a rabbi by the name of David Wolp pointed this out to me. When Nathan tells this parable, which he's hinting, he's hinting at David's story. He actually uses the words that are exactly David's words. You would never know it in the beginning, but the word that he uses to describe a poor man is nearly the same word as he describes for a rich man. And the two words that he uses in that verse is the same word that David used earlier in his life to describe his life. And if you watch the passage really closely, what Nathan is doing, he's not just saying you're the man. He's actually saying, David, you are every man. You are every man in this story. You're the rich man. You know what it's like to have everything. You are the poor man. You know exactly what it's like to have absolutely nothing. And David cannot come to his senses. He can't hear it. David has a sensory problem. Now, if I could pause for a minute and I could just talk about our problems, because we love talking about our problems, right? When it comes to our problems, I, I, I don't think we're that far removed from the story. Matter of fact, if I think about it, like David, we love to focus on external instead of internal, right? Like, we get this. We get this. We love, some of you are so gifted at Twitter, and the reason you love Twitter is because you love to burn over something that is outside yourself rather than what's going wrong with inside yourself. It's the reason you love classrooms, to be able to debate different things, but never once does it actually touch what's happening in your life. Some of you love a really good reality TV show because it gives you the ability to be like, can you believe that guy? But you may actually be that, but it doesn't matter. Can you believe that guy? We love to focus on the external rather than the internal. Okay, let me try and do some apologetics for you here real fast. I'm not going to actually. But can you imagine? Stats have told us. That, I mean, this is going to prove it right here. Stats have told us that out of all the people in this room, 75% of you actually believe that you are above average driver. <laughs> let that sit real fast. Did you experience that this morning? 
Did you see 75%? I didn't see 75%. Did you know that the same stat reflects that 75% of people who are in hospitals because of car accidents actually rate themselves as above average drivers? It's true. As if we treat ourselves like we are the North Star. Like, I'll never forget how many comedians have made money off of the joke of thinking, you think you're the most self-aware driver. You think you're the North Star, but every time that you run into someone who is driving faster than you, they're a maniac. But anyone that's driving slower than you is an idiot. So when you're driving, you think you're always the main truth point of reference, as if you are self-aware enough to know this. We are not curious very often about our ignorance. And that's a shame for us because it actually provides us an invitation. One of my favorite writers that I have to be very careful I don't fanboy over, A.J. Swoboda, he actually says it like this, you and I are swimming in what he calls reflective poverty. And here's how he described this, reflective poverty a hunger for truth, a belief that we determine it for ourselves, and a never-ending task of juggling family, hobbies, kids, friends, sports. Church, can I get an amen yet? Are we there? We are not curious enough about our ignorance. What we don't even know that is true. And here's where 2 Samuel 12 orients us. That the healing work of God first begins with the revealing work of God. That healing actually comes through you and I not knowing what we need to know about ourselves. That, day, that God actually reveals to David himself for God to be able to save David from himself. This is the work of God. It's an invitation to us. And if we've ever experienced this invitation before, we know that there's something waiting for us if we're ready to receive it. Uh, when I walk down these hallways, I, I've been here for nearly, nearly a decade now. I know I'm so old. Um, but when I walk down these hallways, uh, there's a hallway in this church that I actually feel this text more than I ever have before. It's right in front of 207, actually. Because I remember when I first started at Highland was serving at this church, I was put on a team, team of people. Highland loves teams. They always love teams. I was put on a team of people, and I remember that we had one person in the group who I would describe as our Enneagram 4 of the group, okay? She was the feeler. She knew the emotions that were happening in the room. And I remember this teammate actually asked to sit down with me, and she said, I want to talk about our group because I'm sensing that there is gossip that's happening in the group, and I want to get your feeling from it. And I said, okay, we can do that. Sit down. I agree with her. I'm like, great. Let's be able to work through this. And I'll never forget, she looked me in the eyes and said, if you think gossip is so toxic, then why did you do it? Translation, what she said to me. You are that man. And I remember it was extremely hard to hear from someone to be able to say, if you don't think this is right in the world, you are contributing to what is not right in the world. And it was hard enough to hear those words. It was even harder because I said, thank you for telling me. She said, I'm not done yet. <laughs> I actually think that you gossiped because you actually have an issue with people showing emotions with facts and meetings. 
And you actually disregarded my opinion because I was also emotional in adding what that was. I think you actually need to look back in your history and figure out where those wires got crossed. Well, I was was gonna show some emotion, but she just told me what I needed to work through with that emotion. But it was a moment that I was able to stare someone in the face and receive the invitation from God. And usually in those moments, our reflex, our instinct is always to be, well, look who's talking. Or we try to deflect and be like, oh, so now you're going to be a convicting person. But here's the thing. Every time we can learn something about ourselves that we do not know, shorthand, in which we can sense ourselves, we have an opportunity to sense who God is. That the two are actually interconnected together. Did you notice the posture of David when Nathan comes to him and says, you're not getting the hint. Let me tell you directly, you are that man. David does not explain it. David does not try to justify it. David does not click into the mode that you and I try to click into. David begins the process of repentance. That he does not fix everything he first recognizes what is happening. Now, when you and I think of repentance, usually our posture towards repentance is thinking something along the lines of uh, maybe we think high emotions. Uh, We think usually a hill song song is happening in the background or, you know, arms are wide open and, you know, we're just letting life all out. And some of you are like, I will never, ever do that. That's the way that we think of repentance. But when the Old Testament talks about repentance, it talks about it in more of a dynamic way. To repent is just the equivalent of saying to turn, to face a different direction, to pledge a different loyalty, to go a different way, to say no to the previous way you went and yes to a different place that you went. There's an early church father that actually said the phrase, really helpful, that he would just quote, he would say, in the waters of baptism we're saved, but it's in the tears of our repentance that we actually come to know life with God. What he means by that is he's saying that, yes, we can have moments where everything is opened up to us in life, but repentance is not one moment, but a series of many moments, which each moment that we're open to repentance is a moment to be able to see God uniquely and differently. It's when truth moves from ideal to becoming real in our lives. And David at least starts or enters this process of recognizing he can experience God and learning something he doesn't know about himself. If you'd go ahead and put up verse uh, 13, 14. If you've noticed, David says this, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. David has sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, but David recognizes that there is a connection between how you treat people and how you treat God, that how you interact socially in your day-to-day actually is how you interact with God, and the two are together. And one thing I like to highlight, 
especially with the life of David, that we do not have time to get into today, is that sometimes we like to focus on the how of David is repenting. And I'm not sure the text gives us that much. What's more important is not how David repents, but who David repents to. Because let's be honest, you know, David gets a little sketchy sometimes. Like, for those of you who really watch your Bibles closely, yes, David is genuine. But other times you start to wonder, does David mean what David says? Is, is David working the system or is David actually in it? And one of the things 2 Samuel highlights to us is that no matter the intentions or the posture that moves towards it, that when David turns towards God, we see an image of what it's like for God to turn towards us. That in facing God, David gets to face the divine face of mercy and grace. That David gets to actually experience what Exodus 24 has been saying over and over again. That God is compassionate. That God is slow to anger. That God is full of mercy. David gets to experience God with this. And it's a moment for David to pivot and say his story is going to change. Which, by the way, reminds me about your story. If I had to guess, you are telling a story with your life right now. But I think I would take it a step further. You are not just telling a story about your life. Church, you are actually informed by some type of story that you are telling yourself that you're living out that story. For some of us, I don't think we've still realized that we are telling ourselves a story of the same story that our parents wanted for us. I think some of us are living a story of what culture has told us the good life is, and we're telling ourselves that story. Many of us think we're telling one story with our life, but I think those closest around us would actually tell us we're living a different story. And any time we put ourselves at the center of that story, the story will get off track. And the work of God is revealing what story we're telling and healing us with the story of God. So back to the question. When was the last time? Church, when was the last time that you've taken God's invitation to turn a different direction? When's the last time you have heard what you didn't want to hear? When's the last time that you have turned away from your life and turned towards God's life? And then when's the last time you've opened yourself up to the character of God in the moment where your weakness happened? Our posture towards ourselves, towards God, towards other people absolutely matters. To sense sin in our life is to be able to sense who God is. It's the ability to discover ourselves and discover who God is in a really unique way. A lot of times when we find something about ourselves, our response is, oh, well, that's really good to know. That's just the way I am. The Christian faith does not say that. The Christian faith says, that's not the way I am. The Christian faith says, that's the way that God can transform me next. 
because I know the posture in which I face God towards. If I turn a direction to God, I am turning towards his grace and his mercy. When we repent, when we recognize, we actually take the ideal of God and we actually get to experience God for real. So let me try to explain this in a very practical way. I, I've heard one of our elders tell this story, and I think it's very helpful to kind of get to what are we talking about with this when it comes to realizing ourselves. Uh, one of our elders got approached at one point, and this person had a question that I think is a question most of us feel in our lives at some point. Their statement that they said to the elder was, I feel like I need to, feel like I need to reconnect to God. Many of us have felt that, right? And as our elder kind of sat and listened and said, you know, tell me more about that, slowly they unpacked how they've been in the season of feeling like they're disconnected with God. And because of that, it's kind of caused a ripple effect in their relationships and their people. And then this person said, I think that I need to get back on track on working with my relationship with God. Oof, how many of us have said that before? And as the, our elder of this church asked, how do you think you should do that? Their response was very much like our response. I think I should read scripture. I think I should start praying again. I think I should have an accountability partner. All good practices, but I love the wisdom of one of our elders. He actually paused and he said, I actually want you to maybe think of your relationship with God a little bit different. What if instead of doing those things, which those are very good practices, what if you actually went to one of the people who you've hurt in this season of life and just ask them, what do you know about me that I don't know? And I love that move because what that does is that takes us from this big ideological concept and gets it very in tune down. For people that actually work through your relationships, you have to actually start relying on the love of God. And if you want to interact with the work of God, the revealing work of God, the healing work of God, the love of God, then we actually have to get down to acknowledging who we are and starting to work with people to be able to see who we are. Because we don't know what story we're telling ourselves. But no church that we have a story that God is moving us towards. And that's really good news. I want to invite the worship team to come up. And I want to just leave you with this final thought, church. I would imagine, I'm going to dare say, I would imagine the year 2020 was not the way you wanted to tell your story. If I had to imagine, some of us don't even really like over the past year thinking about what we have told with our story. Seems like many of us got caught up in political parties and positions, and we forgot in those entire conversations this was about people, and people who are looking about the story of the kingdom of God through us, and we missed it. If I had to guess, some of us cut people off from our stories. Some of us probably hurt other people in our stories. Some of us were navigating so many tensions over the past couple months that maybe some of those tensions, that chaos inside us, spilled out onto other people. And the thing that I want us to remember in the midst of whatever we're telling with our story is that God's story is one that God is pulling you in. 
that any moment that you get a sense of who you are is a moment that you can sense God. To sense sin is to sense God's work. We don't beat ourselves over the head with it. We invite it in because when we invite it in, we actually can experience who God is. We're people who turn. We're people who change different directions. We're people who repent because we remember the God of David. That this God, this God doesn't need to be convinced. This God forgives because of who this God is at God's core. And we repent not to earn God's love or convince God of God's love. We do it to actually encounter and remember and be embraced by that love. His grace and his mercy, church, will help us come to our senses. Please stand and sing.